now in partnership with the new Westport Library and Quick Center for the Arts. And iTunes, it's Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast with me, Trace Burroughs. And me, Mix Burroughs. And um, why is it called Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast? <laughs> We've never explained the... Uh... The origins. Okay, well, it's too, it's too complicated a story. Anyway, our guest today is Elaine Clayton, who uh, was, um, what was I going to say, an occupant, <laughs> was a citizen of Westport for a long time, um, and and uh, the artist collective of Westport, and, and moved to Atlanta, right? So that we're we're talking to you from Atlanta, Georgia. Well, right now I'm just a little bit south of Atlanta. But um, in my mind, when I did that, it was kind of to have an adventure and to be between somewhere else and Westport, you know, and I was kind of pulling it off. I was sort of there every few months until COVID basically put an end to that by, what do you say, by state plan to live, I don't know, in two different locations, by location way of living. Right. So... Uh what made you pick Atlanta? Um, what'd you say? What made you pick Atlanta? Uh, well, I used to teach in, a, in an independent school in Atlanta. Um, I started my whole art career and career as an author based in Atlanta. I would go to New York with my little portfolio back when you could actually meet with editors and stuff. Um, so I knew a lot of people and I have family and I decided it would be a good idea. Plus I, at the time I thought my younger son, he, j he had just graduated from Staples. I thought he was gonna be in Florida. So I thought, oh, fun. I'll just kind of go where I'm not far, you know, and I'll have some beach weekends and be able to see him. So it seemed like a good idea. And it was really actually a fun thing to do. Sometimes just going to a different place, you know, changes your perspective and so, um, it's sort of almost subtropical in Georgia, too. So it felt real soothing. It's yeah. like there's always a flower somewhere opening up, even in December. Yeah. But how about culturally? Was it like I don't know what that what it's like there socially, culturally? Is it a shock? Is it a, you feel like you feel comfortable there, or wouldn't you know? Is it an art? Is there an art community there? Yeah, there's a. I tell you what. Here's what I think about Atlanta. It's the most unique city, and I think it's because of Martin Luther King, I think it's, it's like this love-filled, crazy, wild, creative place. And people are so open to things like, how, I can't tell you how many times as an artist, I would say, um, you know, go up to someone who runs some kind of business and say, how about we collaborate? What do you think if we, if I do this and then you do that? And Sure. You know, there's just such an openness. And um, for a long time, I had the theory that people kind of copy their terrain. So like Georgia's real open and floral and people are friendly and their language is like that. And you go to Boston, and it's cold. So people are just kind of a little bit <laughs> yeah. stiffer. Um, I don't know where that would put Westport. We'd have to play with that, like <laughs> and the beach, you know. But I, I have to say, I really think Atlanta's unique. It's not like an urban place. It's uh, Frederick Law Olmsted designed a lot of the best areas, you know, but even outside of where he made it look perfect and park-like, dreamy. Um, 
I, everywhere I looked, there would be this something dreamy happening with trees and stuff, and that's really down my alley. Um, but also, I'm proud of of the place now too, in that um, people really unified politically. No matter what side you're on or whatever, you've got to admire, you know, people kind of coming together these days. It's so hard to get people to come together in any way. Yeah, and just you know, yeah, the Atlanta governor what you know and attorney general you know he's defending the truth um mm -hmm. anyway you mentioned dreamy so you're you're not i don't know if we even said this you're an artist <laughs> we're interviewing an art elaine blayton the artist uh well why don't you tell your website since they can't see your work but they they go to your website what would that where's your okay website? it's real easy it's elaineclayton.com oh, and okay. it's a mix of a lot of stuff um but your work is i it's a, I would characterize it as dreamy. I mean, some, we can see it in the background and I've seen it before, but is that, does it come from dreams? I mean, do you dream your work and then go do it? I think dreams are so much a part of everything I do because when I was, and I don't know if you two were like this um, because you're both visual also. I just remember the enormity of dreams in my young, very young early childhood and how, extremely adult themes, archetypal themes were parts of these dreams that now if I describe them to you, you'll go, oh my gosh. And, and we think, oh, kids don't know. They don't understand. They really do. If you, if I were to go back and, and, you know, look at some of the dreams I had, but they were really heavy and cinematic and I had to deal with them emotionally. So that just became a part of my whole world really to this day. And so I was also drawing and the two weren't really connected um, until, you know, just I started to get older and, and realize that creative visualization is where you're just open to the cosmos of ideas. And that's really what's happening when you're dreaming too. You have your own experience. So you have your personal unconscious you know, working, but you have this whole other expanse, like where you literally wake up and you know something you didn't know before. You know, you, you know how that you've, you've had a dream where you wake up and go, oh my God, thank God that was just a dream. Mm, yes. I'm never going to get involved in that. Oh my God, <laughs> never. Uh, and then the, the, the other way is where you, you're so glad, you know, you had the dream and you want it to be true. So it, it just, they can't be denied. So I never know what to make of my dream. It's usually distressing, but. We have to slough off. I have a lot of distressing dreams. And so when I was in high school, I was so upset by certain dreams that, that and you know, have you ever had a recurring dream? Oh, mm. time. I, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had this one. I can maybe tell you how I undid it. Okay. I had this one dream. I was in high school and I read about Edgar Casey. He was you know, you can look him up. He, he would, he was called the sleeping prophet. He would just kind of lay down, go into a trance and he would enter that unconscious state and people would ask him questions. And it was like, it's just really fascinating to me. But I realized, I, uh, you know, there's a way to kind of play with dreams instead of being so burdened. And I had this dream over and over that I would be running and the person was chasing me. And it was so terrifying that I would wake up, you know, like, mm. you know, like in a heartbeat panic or whatever. And I got so upset by that dream that um, I started to play around with how can I 
change that. And I read that the Iroquois tribe teaches their, their kids to, um, you know, if you have a dream, you're in charge of your dream. So you don't let anyone take advantage of you in your dream. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And so then I blended it, I think, with the Edgar Casey stuff. And what I did was I wrote down, I will take control in my dream. I will take control. You know, I sort of did affirmation writing like that. And it took a few times, but at one point, soon after I started that, there it was again. I'm running through one of the suburban neighborhoods that I had lived in when I had culture shock when I was about fourth grade. And this guy is chasing me. And it was so terrifying. And I was running. And then I realized, hey, wait a minute, this is my dream. And I turned <laughs> around and I kicked him as hard as I could. <laughs> it gave me only a few moments, though. I, I, I remember running to some connected part of a building, like a house that had a separate entrance somewhere and right and I ran in and slammed the door but right as I turned the thing to lock it the doorknob twisted because he had caught up with me mm. but I woke up having at least kicked him and locked the door <laughs> oh. so yeah I never have the presence of mind in a dream to realize I'm dreaming hardly ever no. barely though well you can you really can develop it if you want to I mean I I had to sort of work at it Ahead of time. So you mean like the day before you, you or days before you have to just kind of you have a mantra that I will take control of my dream. I will take control of my dream. Well, I don't know that I went around saying it all day, but it, it's more like the disposition that I am sort of the author of my domain. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't allow certain things in my house. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't allow certain things to get too close to my body, you know, um, I mean, I'm going to try to make it safe space. The dream is another dreamland is another safe space, even though we do have to deal with really hard themes, um, in life. So, so in dreams, um, and not every nightmare has to be a real true thing, but we do definitely get, you know, strongly impacted by them. So why not have, you know, ownership over that space and mm. time too, in some way. Well, you mentioned, yeah, keeping a safe space. So we'll just touch on this briefly because I think people are, are are interested in, you know, that you did come down with COVID and you're here and healthy and obviously doing well. And, you know, just what was that, you know, where everybody's anxious about it. Like, do I have it? You know, I got, I got tested the other day because I, I had mild headaches, which I get from my, from allergies but I just didn't want to take a chance, you know, but, and then I'm thinking, what if I can't breathe? What if I wake up and I'm gasping? I mean, I have this drowning, one of my, you know, drowning fears, but yes. what, what did that like for you? Well, let me just tell you the saga started with me being so extremely careful and like probably you and trace together. Did you feel like you really mitigated at the beginning, you know, like, Oh my God. And, and your life suddenly was, not expansive in any way um, and after months of doing that and then deciding to come live a little bit closer to my 91 year old dad because once we were all kind of quarantined and life was so limiting I thought it was way harder to do anything for him from you know an hour 20 minutes away but I have I wouldn't see anyone I wouldn't do anything, hardly, you know, it would be outside and safe and the mask and hand sanitizer and all that. 
And then, I don't know, there were a couple of times when I first moved here where I encountered someone not wearing a mat. One guy didn't even have one. He was supposed to fix the furnace and he didn't even have one. He didn't <laughs> believe in them or something. And so I always wonder if, is that how I got it? But I didn't think when I, I was supposed to have surgery for a sport injury, you know, and I, they made, they made me do a, a swab like the day before and they did it and I'm driving home and I get a phone call and they said, you, you tested positive. And I said, no way, I, there's no way I'm positive. So that it started with feeling confused by how could that be? And then within two or three days, I started having symptoms and it started out with, no, I would just have to say, even if it is in a category of like, you know, COVID's like there, it's a novel COVID-19 is novel, but it's still like a cold virus of a sort. Right. Um, or people say it's like the flu. I didn't have any symptoms that would have made me think I had the flu or a cold. It was, it was headache and fatigue, but it didn't feel the same at all as either times, anytime I've had those two. And then it was intense burning in my lungs and throat. But people would say, well, do you want to, you know, Vicks lozenge or mm. something? You know, like they, I'll bring some by. And I would say, no, it's not in my throat like that. I don't have a sore throat. I can eat and drink. I, I didn't even lose my appetite that much. But I said, it's like the tissue inside the esophagus is on fire. Mm. Mm. So it, it, the, the, and I would lay there imagining that I was going to die because like you said, um, Migs, um, it is a nightmare in that you're going <gasps> like there was a good week where I had to consciously decide with every breath that I was going to breathe. Mm. And I would wake up in the night, like, you know, you talk about sleep apnea, I'd wake up, <clears throat> you know, I wasn't breathing in my sleep. And so you know, I will say being alone without someone kind of hovering or mm. at least through uh, on the other side of the door, you're still alive in there. I mean, but people have died on the other side of the door. People yeah, have been no. found. So I came to peace with it. I did. I made my peace with it. it you know, um, were you hospitalized? No, but I did have to go to the ER at one point and that played out well in that there was no active damage they were seeing with the they didn't really do what i'm about to have some things done and i'll tell you why but they do the basic you know like they they make sure your heart rate and stuff is okay and at the moment that i was in there it was okay but i had the little oximeter where i would go into hypoxia frequently at random i'd be laying there and all of a sudden just go into this wild yeah. fluctuation but the er doctor was great because she said i had the same exact symptoms you're having and i had i experienced hypoxemia just like you are and there are points where you're perfect and then points where you don't know if you're going to live but um i left that day at least knowing someone who takes care of people really got it that felt that felt great just knowing that i was validated a little but i still had to um get on steroids to be able to breathe oh, really? and that helped immensely so um, what's happened now, let's see, that was October 12th that I was diagnosed. So now, what is October? Now? Uh, yeah, we're going a few months down the road. Um, and I never didn't 
have since COVID a sensation of like a fireman's brick on, right here. Mm. And you can kind of hear in my throat, it's sort of a weak sounding voice a little bit. Do you hear? I don't know if you can no, tell. Really. I mean, you talk know. to me pretty frequently, Meg. So, you know, my voice doesn't sound like Catherine. <laughs> you know, or is it? Catherine? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't know what they're going to tell me, but I need to have it checked out. And I did ask my dad, he's a retired DO. So he's like, he's super holistic. And he said he wanted to hear about it. And I told him that I had been reading that a lot of people have, like, they feel like they can't breathe. They get winded, they have pains. And then the tests don't really show. They're not sure if there's damage. They think not, but why is the person experiencing that stuff? And they started to say that maybe the central nervous system is affected. So if, if you had a period of time, let's say two weeks where COVID was you know, attacking your lungs or your heart, but then your body fought it off and you're pretty okay now, the central nervous system, if it's affected, might still think the emergency is happening. Um. So it sends a signal. So I start, he, so what my dad said is um, really treat and take care of your trigger points. And so by that, he meant places, do you have places where you're naturally sore often, mm -hmm. you know, like as artists, you know, like I get it back here on my shoulders. And, and so, you know what, I started to do more like massage and stuff, heating pad and stuff. And for two days, it, I, I really felt a lot better. So I'm wondering, but anyway, they're going to do all this nuclear testing and all this cardiac stuff just to make sure that there's no real damage. But that's how serious this thing is. It's not a cold. Yeah. Well, thanks. I will move on to happier. But I'm really grateful to hear all that because, yeah, we, we it's all just the unknown unless you have it. You know, you're on one side. You're on the COVID or non-COVID. Well, I didn't mean to be curtain. so scary. No, no. I, I scare you know, easily. Well, I'm happy to be alive. I mean, you, yeah. you, you know, I when I was feeling the pain really intensely, I would think, you know, like it's sort of stereotypical of people when they get old. Oh, to be young again. I, I, for, I didn't know how lucky I was when it felt so great not to have COVID pain. So, I, you know, when I don't have it, I feel pretty awesome. And yeah. well, that's good. Yeah. And you're such a positive person, which, um, oh, which brings me to. How many books you've written books and very you know spiritual and then we'll talk about stream drawing but i'm just curious what do you want to just talk about some of the books you've written that people could look for yeah sure um well i started out um like i said when i was in atlanta i would go with my portfolio you know and i wanted to do picture books write and illustrate so um i ended up doing several picture books i guess i want to say six or seven and then i illustrated for other authors too. So um, those would be mostly chapter books for, you know, young readers and YA novels, young adult novels. And I, I really enjoyed that. And then this uh, editor publisher at uh, Clarion is an imprint of Houghton once. She knew I had sketchbooks and spiritual themed art and this whole other world. And she said, why don't you do a book about your real art? Hmm. And cause I don't know that I'm a born illustrator in some sense, you know, like I don't, I, I don't want to, I want to do what I want to do more than anything. And so, you know, uh, it, it's noble to do art to service editorial 
content. It is wonderful. I did it. I was happy doing even op-ed and letters to the editors for the New York Times for a while and stuff like that. But I feel like she was right. And so I ended up doing my first um, book for the mind, body, spirit genre for adults. And that was like a journal with these large image cards to, to help um, people develop a sort of visual sense, like an artistic visual sense that guides you to your emotions basically and unconscious thoughts and ideas you know we form all these ideas and thoughts and then we get triggered by visuals but our society knows this is true yet they squeeze it out of us as far as being creative when we're young and then they use it's like imagery is used just to sucker us make us feel like we don't have enough of something or we need more of something or whatever and get us to buy things so we are a highly visual society, only we use it mainly just to um, manipulate each other in a way that's not always so great. I mean, maybe I do need better shampoo. <laughs> so I'm, someone's making it, but I don't want to be left feeling like worthless because, you know, yeah. but they do, that stuff does that sometimes. It actually, it sort of, in my mind, it relates to what you're talking about dreams of you have to take control. So, you know, not that you, you know, you could make a case we're all in a dream anyway, but that, that, um, you know, row, row, row your boat. Life is but a dream. But, um, yeah, I mean, you have to take control and go, you know, I don't care how many times they tell me I have to buy this shampoo. I'm, I'm just going to go with, you know, whatever, something. Yeah. You know, so, what is an intuitive stream drawing? I saw that on your website. Mm -hmm. What's that all about? Yeah, well, that's that's sort of the um, offshoot of it. It was the second book on on um, you know intuition using a visual, but this time instead of having people just gaze at art imagery to open up their thoughts, memories, and feelings to kind of have that intuitive inner conversation that I think we don't have enough time to do, but it's really essential. Um, it, instead of using visual imagery that's presented to the reader, this time, you know, it's really putting together years of drawing classes that I did with kids and adults, trying to get people back to drawing in a freestyle way. And, and it's a, a thing that the reason why it's called intuitive stream drawing is it's, it's a, a way of drawing that we did when we were really young and uninhibited completely when we were babies and toddlers, you know, like marking on the walls or on any, any surface. And we did it without any self-consciousness at all. We just knew that we could change a blank surface. And then people get so conditioned to be self-critical that mm. over and over, like as visiting author at schools and libraries um, over the years, kids and adults would say, um, I like to draw, but you know, I'm not good at it. So I don't. And so I would do these workshops, getting everyone to support someone at the easel. But the trick was the person at the easel couldn't see what it is they were doing, you know, like blind contour drawing. And they would be actually doing a blind contour drawing because I'd have kids pose and they, their posing would be different emotions, you know, and they, they were so fun to do that with. I, I loved, I, don't, I say they were because with COVID we're, we're not doing those mm -hmm. workshops right now, but um 
anyway, it, it, the idea of intuitive stream drawing is to have people draw again freely and you, you use your non-dominant hand so you have no control or you don't have that control that might stop you and you close your eyes. And it's basically what someone would say, oh, you know, this is a scribble or is that a doodle or whatever. And I, I want it to be um, thought more of as this profound mark making that is innate to us that does help us become empowered because we're powerful creators. That's who we really are. We're born to create, we're born to take something blank and change it. And, um, and then the second part is upon gazing at what you draw, then you're in that dream realm. You're where there's potential to know things you didn't realize you knew or to be aware of things you didn't how do, you, how do you read into those markings? I mean, mm. you read how do I read into them? Shapes? Well, there are all kinds of different ways. You might just not think and want to just use color inside the shapes and thereby have something surprising happen because you know how ideas often surface by surprise. Um, like when you're taking a walk or, you know, athletes say when they're in the zone, you know, stuff happens. So you could do that. There's no pressure and there's no wrong way to read into one. But what happened when I first um, did this, I was about to do an intuitive session. I, I know that's a podcast and people can't see it, but I can show you guys real fast. But they could do and this I, at home. I mean, they could literally. Yeah, anyone this. can do this. So easy. And I have all these YouTube videos. You don't have to even have the book. But I was about to do a reading for someone that I didn't know. I just, you know, knew that they were about to call. And I closed my eyes and drew. And I just sat there looking at this. And I start to see into it. Mm. And I'll show you what I saw. I realized that, you know, I'm a figurative artist. So I started to see the space and negative space. And um, so I saw this. And it looked like... Um, like somebody in the somebody floating in the air well this seemed like a woman and to me she was like a grandmother you know uh -huh. i even gave her curly hair because her body just reminded me and she looked like she's on an iv with breathing tubes how how weird is that oh, right yeah. now yeah. but it was really weird because she only has one leg and then there was this whole other piece but um so the person called and i thought you know, this is an intuitive session and I just drew with her on my mind. I wonder if I should just tell her about this. So I, it was going out on a limb, but I said, I did a drawing, I'm an artist. Can I just tell you what I saw in it? And she was really open-minded. And I said, there's a grandmother and she's in the hospital and she's got a breathing tube, yeah. but um, she only has one leg. And there was this pause and the woman said, they did take my grandmother's leg. Oh my God, really? And I thought, that can't, be, that can't be. And then the second piece of the drawing showed someone down, you know, like they looked like they were being cradled by someone and there was an aggressor. The grandmother figure ended up being like an aggressor. The mm. leg, the one leg ended up being like an, an arm. So I said, okay, can I just tell you the second part? You know, someone's down, he got knocked down. I don't know if he died, it looks like it because, you know, he's being held as if and there was like a cartoon bandage on him, you know, like in the cartoons when Tom, oh, yeah. Jerry, you know, whatever happens to Tom or Jerry, and they have for one second, they have a white bandage. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I knew that probably meant something. And I said, you know, or he's injured. 
And she said that she had sort of a surrogate uncle and he tried to break up a bar fight and he got hit over the head himself and he did die. So I thought, I can't ignore this. This is really awesome. Mm. And I wanted to put it out there for people to develop their own intuitive way of drawing and sensing because I also do work, intuitive work. And I think there's so many scam artists that... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like going to a psychic is always fun, has always been fun. But they, ever since I started doing that when I was young, even though there are great people who are gifted in that way, and we do often have precognition, mostly it seems like I would run into people who use manipulative means to sucker people. Sure. And I, I think it's um, evil actually to do that to someone because people go to people when they're vulnerable. A little bit we all have a bad day and we want someone to tell us it's going to be okay um, so you're you're psych, kind of psychic right i yeah and i don't love using the word psychic sometimes because it's so declassé because of you know do you remember Pee Wee herman's movie and he goes to the psychic and she's got the crystal ball and she's like you know and he wants to find his bicycle and her eyes don't you know dart and she sees um you know, something about Alamo rent-a-car. And she goes, your bicycle is in the Alamo. It's in the Alamo. <laughs> and so he goes all the way to the Alamo. <laughs> you know, and then the girl when the tour goes, we don't have a basement. We don't have a basement in the Alamo. You know, the bike's not in the basement of the Alamo because we don't have one, you know. But that's what would happen. Like when we were in high school, we thought, let's call a fortune teller. And we dialed the number. We had a big yellow, you know, the yellow pages, remember? Mm -hmm. And the woman goes, hello. And we go, oh, um, we were wanting a psychic reading. And she goes, oh, I would have to see you. You know, like her whole demeanor changed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then later in my 20s, it was a rainy day. And I was reading Jane Eyre. And there's that scene where... Uh, Rochester pretends to be a fortune teller and I thought yeah I'm gonna go to a fortune teller and this woman she may have been right but she said someone's trying to harm you but I, I also figured she's trying to scare me and then she said but I can do a smoke screen for you and I, I was like 20 years old and I go um what's a smoke screen and she described what sounded like lighting a candle and saying a prayer and I sat there thinking God, she thinks I can't say my own prayers. She's trying to get between me and, you know, whoever I feel God is to me. And, and plus it was going to cost like today, it would probably be $2,000. But, um, you know, that's what, that's what people do. Just a little subtle bit of fear put in there really mm. makes people think you need someone to answer things for you. And you don't, you, you, you've got your own answers. Right. I'm trying to empower people. I'm not trying to be a, you know, a guru who has answers. I just want to direct people to their own creative empowerment. Yeah. Right. Just tune into their own instincts because they're there probably if you're, you know, developable. Well, we actually time went by so fast. So oh, um, see how much I talk. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> well, thank God. Or there'd be no podcast. You know. I you guys are the fun part of the podcast so you know right, well we've done a few on our own just our own <laughs> talking and reminiscing about growing up maybe we should, we'll do that again but well, I, I can't get uh, trace's um biggest underwear biggest panties in the world out of my head <laughs> God, <laughs> i miss those days you know <laughs> yeah
you know what? It's probably a high time to do something else because nothing's nothing else is going on in a lot of those buildings. Well, now, now it's another big, big garment and hanging in Manhattan. Big mask, yeah, a giant, yeah, giant, giant surgical giant, mask. Well, biggest COVID. yes, stretch between I don't know two giant buildings or something. Put a mask on a building. Let's put a mask. Yeah, put a mask. Yeah, you know, it's that's sort of a Christo thing. But yeah, but in yeah. a mask, a mask with some building that has a thing that instead of ears, you could wrap it around. That would be really cool. Underwear is more fun, though. Yeah. I, I was asked by Random House to illustrate uh, a novel told in poems, and they said the title is Poetry is My Underwear. And I thought, <laughs> oh, goody. And I, I went to Kmart, and I bought tons of underwear. And the whole book, every poem is illustrated. And it's underwear all cut up and collaged and, mm. you know, and then at the very end, they changed the title. And I thought, people are going to really wonder why this book is full of underwear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it was one of my favorite ones to do. It was Girl Coming In for a Landing. By That's what it's Hazel called? Wayland. Yeah. So it's, if they go to Amazon, they can Girl Coming In for a Landing? Yeah. you can. I definitely think you can get it on Amazon. It's a random house, uh, Crown Books for Young Readers. And the stream draw and the book, which is just before we sign off, just say this, the title is Stream Drawing? Is that what uh, the title is Making Marks Discover the Art of Intuitive Drawing. And it's okay. with Simon & Schuster. Um, Beyond Words is an imprint with Simon & Schuster. And you can get that in Barnes & Noble or, or your local bookstore if you order it, um, or on Amazon or countless other places. Well, thank you so much. So much for having me. A footnote to today's show, Elaine Clayton will be holding a class called Making Your Mark, Creative Journeying Through Stream Drawing. Uh, and it will be hosted by the Westport Library on Wednesday, March 24th from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. So go to the Westport Library website and sign up for that. You will not regret it. <laughs>